You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. We've entitled the series, Living in the Shadow of Our Great King. And this morning's message is the the keystone message for the whole book because chapter 6 is the keystone chapter for the whole book. This morning's message is entitled, The Great King. It is all about the great king. Chapter 6 acts as a hinge for the book of Isaiah. You must understand chapter 6. We're going to preach on it two weeks in a row to understand Isaiah. Because see, Isaiah 6 looks backward to Isaiah 1 through 5. And deals with this question. How can Israel, God's people, be converted into this holy people that learn God's ways and walk in God's paths so that then God would use them to teach the nations God's ways and show the nations what it's like to walk in God's paths? Because... As we know from chapters 1 to 5, we've been preaching the last couple of weeks. They're not a holy nation. They're not a holy people. They have rebelled against God. They think they can be everywhere at the same time. They think they know it all. They think they're all powerful. They've tried to get into God's chair, into his throne, and play God. And so they've become corrupted. So that God can't use them to teach the nations his ways or walk in his paths. Because Israel doesn't know his ways and aren't walking in his paths. And so chapter 6 is the hinge to answer the question, how can they be converted into this holy people? And then the rest of Isaiah is talking about God doing that. But Isaiah speaks to us today. Because today, we are the Israel of God. We're the people of God. And the question we confront ourselves with, church, Palm Vista, is how can we... An unholy, rebellious people who often try to play God's role and often find ourselves rebellious against God. How can we be converted and changed into this holy people that learn and know God's ways and then know God's ways to walk in his paths so that God can use us to teach the nations his ways? And show them how to walk in his past. Or as Jesus said it in the New Testament. I believe he was thinking about these passages. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them, so we've got to know his ways. To observe all that I've commanded you. How can we be made holy? To fulfill God's purpose for us. That's the question here. And the main figure of this chapter, and really of the whole book, is the great king. The great king who reveals himself, and in revealing himself, reveals the solution to the problem we just stated, both for Israel then and for us today. So let's rehearse now the historical context. The year is probably about 740 B.C. We know from verse 1 of chapter 6 that it's the year King Uzziah died. King Uzziah had reigned over Israel for 52 years. And his reign had been, by and large, pretty good. At the end of his life, he messed up. He tried to play God. And he got leprosy. And he kind of, <laughs> yeah, he, he got leprosy. And he, had, he ended up his life in seclusion, obviously. But pretty much for 52 years, Israel 
And actually, he ruled the southern kingdom, Judah, which out of Jerusalem. But, but they prospered. They were safe. They were secure. Uh, life was good. And now he's dead. And so those in the southern kingdom in Judah are asking themselves this question. Now that great King Uzziah has died. For many of us, we have known nothing but King Uzziah's reign. For all of our lives, if you were less than 50 years old, all you knew was King Uzziah. And it was a good reign, by and large. He was, by and large, a a godly king. What are we going to do now? Who's going to protect us? Who's going to provide for us? And at this time, there was an evil empire called Assyria, modern-day Iraq and Syria and all those places. And there was this king that was rising up, Tiglath-Pileur. And this guy was bad news, and he was very harsh, and he wanted to expand his kingdom, and he was coming. He was on the horizon. He was threatening Israel. So they're saying, Who, who's going to protect us? And Isaiah, being a prophet, living here in the southern kingdom, was asking the same question. So Isaiah, in 740 B.C., he goes into the temple to mourn the death of the great king Uzziah. And when he goes into the temple. He encounters another king. The great king. So let's read about that encounter. Because you see Isaiah's encounter with the great king. Is an encounter that would change his life. And it would chart the future for God's people Israel. My prayer is. That we would encounter this same great king this morning. And that encounter would change our lives corporately, church. And would chart the future of Palm Vista Community Church. Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Recently, I had the opportunity to accompany someone to the courthouse to plead their case before the judge. And as we sat there, everybody's face was very, very nervous. All the other people that were there before the judge, as were we. We were whispering to one another. You know, when you go into the courthouses, they got this sign that says, we have the most, you know, expensive microphones known to man. And so we can hear what you're saying. So be careful. It's this huge sign there. And I kind of forgot it. So after a while, I was talking with this person thinking, oh, I wonder who was listening in on that one. We were worried. And suddenly the judge called this person's name. They stood up. They pleaded their case. 
The judge sat there and read through the case on the computer and was mumbling some things to himself. And then the judge looked up and said these words. Case dismissed. You are free to go. Now, I'll grant you, this case was relatively minor, but the relief was major. Hearing the judge clear this person and saying, you are free, you don't have to pay anything, charges are dismissed, was an incredible moment of joy. Small picture of the joy that Isaiah received when he heard those words before the great king. And what I pray and the takeaway for this morning is this, that we would see the great king this morning. Listen, see him. When we were singing this morning, I just thank God for his spirit at times when he comes, when we're singing, and there's just this sense of seeing into heaven. I'm not saying I saw a vision, but there was just this sense of the king, the holy king, and the sense of I'm forgiven and I can worship him. I just wanted to shout. I cannot sing well. I wish I could sing well. I was singing loudly. Poor Kyle was standing right there. I'm sure he was going, oh my goodness. Didn't realize how badly Alpino sings. I didn't care. I, I, I wanted to scream. I, you know, I like to go to sporting events. And there's certain times in the sporting event where, where, where it's a crucial time in the game. And you're, you're yelling and you're screaming. And the, the whole stadium is loud. It was like I had the sense it was louder, much louder than that in heaven. That was the scene here. Because of how great God and the joy I have. That I, I see you, Lord. By faith, I see you dimly. And, and I'm so grateful for your provision for my sin. That's my prayer here. Because when that happens, we go running out that door. To engage the nations. We want to tell people about Jesus. In fact that's the main point here. And really the main point of this text I believe on the screen. See the great king. And rejoice in his provision for your sin. I pray you would see the great king this morning. And I pray that you would rejoice in his provision for your sin. That is my prayer. Point one, see the great king. In Isaiah 6.1, we read an incredible thing here. Right after he says, in the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah utters four incredible words. I saw the Lord. Look at it there. I saw the Lord. That creates an incredible tension in this text. And it should create an incredible tension in your minds. And it certainly would have created an incredible tension in the minds of any Jewish person. Because they knew this. No man could see the Lord and live. Exodus 33.20 on the screen. God speaking to Moses when Moses said, I want to see your face. God said this to Moses. But he, God, said, you cannot see my, God's face, for man shall not see me and live. Isaiah's in trouble, and he knows it. And and he continues to describe the scene. He sees this great king. He sees the Lord. And he's seated on his throne. And the idea here is that it's, it's the reigning king. It's the sovereign king. It's the real king. See, Isaiah went in there mourning King Uzziah's death and wondering what would happen to the kingdom. And God said, forget King Uzziah. Forget all the other kings. I'm the real king. I'm the sovereign. 
I love the way R.C. Sproul says it in his wonderful book, The Holiness of God. I think this is the first edition ever printed. R.C. was a professor of mine at Reformed Theological Seminary many years ago. I'll never forget when he taught on this in our systematic theology class. It was amazing. Get this book. Listen to this quote from this book. When Isaiah came to the temple, there was a crisis of sovereignty in the land. Uzziah was dead. The eyes of Isaiah were opened to see the real king of the nation. He saw God seated on the throne, the sovereign one. Church, there is a crisis of sovereignty in our church, in our lives. We question God's ability to protect and provide for us. And it is at that point, it's at this point, this morning, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I pray God would open up, pull back the curtains of heaven, and we would see God, our God, the great king and his sovereignty. Isaiah goes on to describe that he is high and lifted up in verse 1. This speaks of God's exaltation and our humiliation before him. Most likely, as soon as Isaiah saw the king, Isaiah hit the deck. He hit the ground, probably in the threshold, in the doorway, going in. Most everybody in scripture, when they see a heavenly creature, much less the Lord, hit the deck, and the one thing they're hoping is they won't die. Oftentimes you'll hear heavenly beings say, do not be afraid, you're not going to die, you're not going to die. And Isaiah was immediately humbled. And see, what this tells us is this crisis, this crisis in our church, this crisis in your life, this depression, this anxiety, this problem you have with anger, is that you, you are trying to be king. You are trying to be the great king. You're trying to be everywhere at the same time, solve everybody's problem. You think you know it all. You think you're all powerful. And then you get mad when you get sick. You get mad when you're not all powerful. You get mad when you forget things. I forgot the keys to the Abex van that I had with me. We found them. <laughs> I took the, the Gonzaleses to run in the marathon this morning at 530, and Abex let us use their van. It's in good shape. And in the middle of worship, I get a tap on my shoulder. Robbie says, are these your keys? Oh, yes, they're my keys. We get mad when we can't find our keys. We get mad when our lives don't go the way they want. We look at some telecast, wherever side you are on all this. We get mad at what we hear is happening in our country. Or we get depressed. Or we get anxious. It's because we we do not see the great king. And and we we indulge in the folly of our own self-exaltation, our own self-sufficiency. And God is saying, come to me. Let me resolve your crisis. This crisis that Isaiah is presently in. Am I going to die or not? And the first thing he does is he hits the deck and he gets low. And at the end of verse 1, Isaiah says this. And his robe, the train of his robe, filled the temple. All that means, church. Remember, this is, this is figurative language. This is a vision. Is that God fills all in all. It is God who is in Guatemala fully there. Not me, not you. Our thoughts are there, but we're not there. It is God who fills this earth. It is God who fills up every vacuum, every void. You cannot find anything or anyone that would fill that. Only God can. As I said, by this time, Isaiah's on his face. And he's thinking, I'm, I'm dying. 
And suddenly, what does he see? Look at verse 2. And above him, the king, stood the seraphim. Great. This is how I'm going. So a seraphim, that word means fiery. Fiery. So, so these are translucent, fiery creatures created by God, standing over God who is seated, serving God. They have six wings. They're flying around. And Isaiah, I'm sure, is thinking, this is how I'm going. And then suddenly, Isaiah hears them begin to sing an antiphonal song. You know what antiphonal song is? It's that one song we sing here, you know, where the men sing, you are holy. And the ladies, you are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. Okay. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. That's not what it sounded like when Isaiah heard it. But that's the idea. You've got these seraphim singing to one another, and they're singing what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord in verse 1 is his title, Adonai. The Lord here in verse 3 is his name, Yahweh. This is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. This is the unspeakable name. The Jew referenced that, reverenced that name so much they wouldn't even use it. They wouldn't speak it. They would say, Lord, Adonai. They they couldn't even say it lest you would profane it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the only place in scripture where one of God's attributes is given with this threefold repetition. What's happening here is the truth of who God is is so amazing that even for a wordsmith, they've run out of words. So in Hebrew, poetry, they didn't have necessarily the exclamation point, but the way they did an exclamation point is they would repeat something. So if you repeated it twice, that's a big deal. It's the only place here that an attribute of God is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. You know what that means? That means that he is different from you. Holy other. That's the primary thing that he's saying. He's wholly other. He can be at every place in one time, fully there. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. You are not. God is holy. It also means moral purity. That's the one you normally think, right? God is holy. He's morally pure. Yes, he is. But primarily is he's different from you. He's above you. Bow down to him. He's holy, holy, holy. He's morally pure. And then to make things worse... In the midst of all this, Isaiah's on his face. He's hearing, holy, holy, holy. Every time he hears it, he shudders because he goes, I'm not holy. I'm impure. I'm going to die. And then in verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Anybody from California? Where do you go when there's an earthquake? The door frame supposedly that's the most secure place in the whole house, right? The door frames were shaking and there's smoke everywhere. And he's here is holy, holy, holy. And he thinks I am dead. So what's his response? The tension's thick here. Feel the tension of this text. Feel the tension of this narrative. Am I going to die? How in the world can Isaiah remain alive? you got the seraphim singing, these fiery creatures. You have God on his throne. Things are shaking. Smoke is pouring out. Point two, he confesses his sin. Look at verse five. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, he repeats again why he's lost. He repeats again why he's in trouble. This is not going to end well. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When a sinful man sees the great King in all his holiness, he can only but cry out, woe is me. You see, the problem with Isaiah wasn't that his lips were unclean. The problem with Isaiah was that his heart was unclean. And the lips here are used to represent our being, our heart. Scripture says that for out of the heart, a man speaks. So our uncleanness is represented by unclean lips. What we say, right? What's really in here. That's what he's saying here. And as Isaiah is aware of it, his problem was his heart. Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. For five chapters, Isaiah has been preaching God's word to tell Israel to repent. And suddenly in chapter 6, he sees the great king and goes, whoa, I'm with them. I'm in the same boat. We're doomed. This is not going to happen. He's going to wipe us out. We're unholy and he's holy. It is his uncleanness that crushes Isaiah. See that word lost there? The Hebrew word for lost there is the most, I don't know how to describe it. It is the most abandoned, hopeless state a person can be. What Isaiah is saying, I'm not even trying anymore. I'm just down. Soon, something's going to hit me on the head or however this happens, these fiery creatures are just going to, they're going to kill me. And I rightfully deserve to be killed. I've lost all hope. I've lost all hope of worshiping God. I'm excluded from God's people. I'm excluded from this heavenly choir. I am lost. Have you ever been there? Now listen, if you're not a Christian, let me just tell you, you're about to hear the gospel. You've been hearing it, but your point three is where the gospel sings. But to hear it, You've got to be on your face in the threshold with it shaking all around you and smoke. And you've got to understand you are lost. You have nothing to offer God. You've got to admit that you're not God. And I pray that happened this morning. And Christian, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, look, there are lots of things that can be resulting in that. I get that. But a lot of times it's just that you're trying to play God and you can't. And God's here to offer a, a, a renewed vision of his provision for your sin, which will bring you peace and joy, joy, the joy of the Lord. Point three, rejoice in God's provision for your sin. So out of the smoke with everything trembling around him comes a fiery seraphim. And I could just imagine maybe Isaiah kind of gets up on his knees and he's looking up and he sees this fiery seraphim coming right at him. And he's probably thinking, this is it. But instead, according to God's word, it says this, verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And verse 7, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What a shocking reversal. 
This is why the gospel is so amazing. Don't ever take it for granted. At this moment, God sends the sacrifice. Most likely the burning coal is representing the whole burnt offering that was cooked right there at the altar. And all that was left was this little coal. But let me tell you what that offering pointed to. Let me tell you what Isaiah was trusting in. The same thing you're trusting in and I'm trusting in. The blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah was saved right there because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Period. Because that offering points to the offering of Jesus who was slain from the foundation of the earth. That offering points to the place where God's wrath, his fiery wrath represented by these fiery creatures and God's holiness represented by fire meet together on the cross and God's justice is vindicated and holy God deems to come up on that cross and be that offering and die naked and cursed to take your curse and my curse and take the wrath of God and rose from the dead three days later. And it's that burning coal. That's what the burning coal represents. See it. You were lost with no hope. And God sends the gospel to you. That's grace. And touches your lips. And cleanses your, your guilt. Remember back in the courtroom with my friend? It was great to know, man, my guilt's cleansed. I had a charge and it's gone. He atones for your sin. He pays for it. It was paid for on the cross. This is what Isaiah saw prophetically. He didn't see it exactly that way. He didn't see exactly it was Jesus when he was born. But he prophesied about it because God, the Holy Spirit, was telling him about it. We see it today. And oh, the joy that it is. The joy that it is. Have you, have you tasted that joy? Have you tasted that joy? And if you're a Christian, have you tasted it afresh? Or have you lost your taste for it? Has your, has your mouth become numb to it? Oh, I pray that you would savor it as if it were you before that judge that day. And he said, case dismissed, you're free to go. That's my prayer for you. Because friends, listen to me. To see God as he is will result in death. Either eternal death at the final judgment, the second death, or death when you join Christ on the cross, which is what scripture tells us, that when Christ draws us to himself, we died with him on the cross. It's this whole baptism deal. And we rose with him from the dead. So you're going to die when you see God. Either now in this life, By faith. Or when you face him, we all will face him. The judge won't say dismissed. You're free to go. Man, if you're here and you're not a believer or you've been playing games, repent and believe. I beg you. May you see God and rejoice in his provision for your sin that you might live And and here's the blessing. As this tension is resolved in this narrative, think of a a play or a movie where the, the, the tension rises. How will this problem get solved? The tension rises, and then there's the resolution of the tension, and it's played out. Here is the resolution of the tension, and it's going to be played out for the rest of the book of Isaiah. Next week, we're going to talk about what happened after this. But the biggest blessing is this. Now... We can see God's 
face and live because we're in Christ. So what the apostle John wrote at the end of his life, John, who was a Jew and understand, understood Isaiah 6, John, who was a Jew and remember Jesus preaching about what Isaiah was saying, like in places like in John 12, John, who later in his life suffered greatly for Christ, wrote this in 1 John 3, 2 on the screen. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And the next verse, I don't have it up there, says this. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's plan. There's nothing new. The whole book is about the same thing. It's just a progressive revelation from it. This is now God's holy people who are rebellious and are unholy. They're made pure so that God can use them to reach the nations. This is us today as our confidence in God rises and as our gratefulness and, and rejoicing in his provision grows, then we go and make disciples of the nations. This is what God is saying to us today. So what's the appeal? Well, the the appeal is the very blessing that we bless you with so many Sundays. And you probably just take it for granted. I think it's on the screen here. Numbers 6.26. So I'll pronounce this blessing often on you. But now that you understand Isaiah, hopefully it'll take greater meaning for you. See, this blessing, God said, I want you to bless my people with it, even though they don't deserve it. But this is the blessing of the garden. This is the blessing that we get because Jesus turned the curse into a blessing. Because apart from Jesus doing that, we cannot see God's face. Apart from Jesus doing that, when God's face shines upon us, it doesn't mean grace, it means death. Do you get that? But because of what Jesus did, here's the appeal. The Lord bless you and keep you. Who's going to keep you? Not King Uzziah. He's dead. Not any other king. The great king. The Lord make his face shine upon you, which apart from Christ means death when you see the face of God, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance again to see his face upon you and give you peace. So here's the appeal. We're... Where do you need to humble yourself before your great king and confess your sin? Where have you been playing God? Again, for me, anger helps me see where I'm playing God. I'm not getting what I want, and I rage. For some of you, it may be anxiety. Where do I need to say, I am unholy? And I look to your provision to touch my lips, my heart, my life. The depravity of sin affects every part of our life. It's deep and profound. Only God can make us holy in Christ. Be specific and receive grace. He he will be gracious to you. We see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that glory is most brightly displayed when he's hanging on a cross, dying for our sins, rising from the dead. Where do you lack peace? Where, where, where is God talking to you right now? The conflicts, the humiliation, whatever. Just those, those are the pressure points. It's, it's like this morning, I, I, I scraped my arm, right? And all this 
It, it looks hideous. It looks, it looks like I have leprosy, okay? And, uh, but, but all that means is that, that that's a sign telling me I did something here. There's something wrong. Well, oftentimes, conflict, anger, anxiety, depression, fear, that's like a spiritual um, nerve system that tells me, okay, I got a pain here. There's something wrong in here. Okay, there's a pain. Why does that bother me so much? Why does that person bother me so much? Why am I so fearful about that? And then just say, Lord, shine your face on me. Lord, lift up your countenance to me. Lord, show me where I'm serving idols. Show me where my lips are unclean. And Jesus, I come to you. I trust you. Make me holy for your name's sake, because he will do it, because he's true to his name. He's true to his glory. His will will be done. And as we see our great king and his provision for our sins, church will join the seraphim. I'm not sure if Isaiah joined the seraphim in singing. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to think about? If Isaiah just stood up, began to sing holy, holy, holy with the seraphim. But we can. And we'll join all of heaven to sing to God and one another of his great glories tomorrow. The reason we do worship the way we do it, the reason we're going to sing in a moment, is because it's right for you to sing to God, but it's right for you to sing to him. And you to sing to her. The seraphim were singing to each other. They were singing to God. It's what's right. He's glorious. He's holy. He's the great king. It's important to do that. It honors God. It speaks the gospel to us. It encourages my soul when I'm weak and tempted. Helps me to humble myself when things are going well and when things are going poorly. So let's bow our heads in prayer. and Worship team, would you please join us? Father, I pray that you would give us much grace this morning. As we see the king. He is high and lifted up, Lord. Your robe fills the the temple. Your glory fills the earth. You are holy, holy, holy. You are different than we are. You are morally pure. And Lord, apart, apart from your grace, we would run as far and as fast away from you as we can. For many of us, we did that for much of our life. But, oh, God, oh, God, because you've opened our eyes, not only to your holiness and our sinfulness, but also to your provision for our sin. And you've said your guilt, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Lord, let us run to you. If there's a Christian here this morning who is avoiding you, maybe someone hearing my voice or watching this because they haven't been to church for a while because of something in their life. Lord, turn them and say, I, I died for you. I come to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. I will make you holy. You will see my face. You'll be like me. Let that truth motivate us as we walk out these doors at the end of this service to engage the world and teach them your ways and show them how to walk in your paths. Lord, we crown you with many crowns. We sing of your majesty. Lord, we we echo the words of the seraphim. You are Lord of all. Let every throne before you fall. Lord, we, we kneel before you. We cast our crowns before you. We stop trying to play you, God. You are the king of kings. And we adore you because, God, you reign forevermore. Amen? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings. 